We're going to continue looking at 1 John. Um, as you recall, the past couple of weeks, um, we've examined the context of this letter, um, who it was written to. We don't know specifically a group. It's not like one of the other letters is written to a specific church or region. But we know it was written to believers. It was written to those who knew the truth. Um, and yet he wrote some things that they would have greater fellowship with other believers and with the Lord, and that they wouldn't sin, and that their joy may be full. Those are all reasons given in the first two chapters. And we have made it down to chapter 2 and verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that... Oh, excuse me, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I'd like to jump to the last verse of this letter. Chapter 5, verse 21. First John 5, 21. The way the letter ends, Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Amen means, means basically, so let it be. The things that we've said, we want those to be true. So his last charge to these believers, who's encouraging not to sin, so that their fellowship can be greater with the Lord and fellowship with other believers and the joy can be full, the last message that he gives is keep yourself from idols. If you look up the definition of keep, you would get something that has the idea of isolation. To watch, to be on guard, to beware. I don't know about you, but I've never been tempted to bow down to a statue made of wood or stone or gold. That struck me. And yet this warning about being where and keeping ourselves from idols is just as relevant to you and I. Go back to Exodus chapter 20. In our Wednesday night Bible study, we've been slowly making our way through Scripture. Started back in Genesis in January and we're up to Numbers. And we know that from looking in Exodus chapter 20, this is after the children of Israel had made it to Mount Sinai, right, or Sinai, however you want to pronounce it. It had been a couple months since they left Egypt. They had done some walking. And they heard the audible voice of God. Right? This was given initially in an audible form. This is God speaking. And it was terrifying. Okay? So much so that they said, we don't really want to hear anymore. If we do, we're going to die. Moses, you've been talking to him. You go. Right? And that's where he'd go spend 40 days up on the top of the mountain. He'd come back with the Ten Commandments. Right? And then he breaks them. And then he breaks them. Well, you're getting ahead of me. It's okay. I'm glad you're making the connection. All right? And so God is speaking audibly and there's been trumpets, and it's waxing louder and louder, and there's smoke coming down and fire going, all this just this terrifying scene. And then God speaks. And how does God introduce himself? Starting in 20, verse 1, it says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He is taking credit and acknowledging, here's who I am. I have done all these things that they just witnessed, right? They had watched one of the most powerful nations on the planet, by human terms, get squished like a bug. I mean, decimated their economy, took out their sources of water and food, and at the end, the final wrap-up is the Red Sea completely demolishes their army, right? And not a single survivor. We've had some pretty bad battles in you know, the history of our country, but you know, there's not many where they wind up the victors took out everybody. 
think initially there's some, but they were tend to be on a small scale, right? Battle of, was it, uh, Custer? Didn't go so well for him, right? They were surrounded, but still, that's very small scale. That's one piece of the U.S. Army, not all of it. So that's what God has just done. And so how is he introducing it? He said, I'm him. I'm the one. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. What's the very next thing he says? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods before me. He says, I have already introduced myself by my works. Now I am introducing myself audibly so you can hear me. And it was terrifying. Don't put anything else before me. No other gods before me, right? And it gets explicit. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or anything that's on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. I mean, so that covers all territory. Don't make any images, whether it looks like something in the sky. Don't worship the sun. On the ground, don't worship animals or trees or whatever. Fish under the sea. You got the whole expanse of the universe. He says, don't do any of it, right? I am the Lord thy God. You couldn't see him, but you could see his work. And they got to hear his voice here. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. He does not share his glory, right? Because there's nothing else who qualifies for it, right? He is the creator God. He is our redeemer God. There is nothing that is worthy of being put in his place. Okay, I am a jealous God. So that's the one sense where you can have jealousy written in a very positive sense. Because it's right. It's righteous. Because anything else is to demean God. Is to put him at a lower level than he rightfully is. To disesteem, if you will. Okay. First thing. I am God. I've done all these things. Don't put anybody else before me. Okay? So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You say we're not we're not part of the Old Testament. We're not part of old Israel. Why are you going all the way back there? I'll show you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. There are lessons that God gives us as Gentile, as in non-natural Jews, believers using the Old Testament nation of Israel. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not have that you should be ignorant. There are some things you need to know. Be ignorant is having that absence of knowledge. It's not saying you're dumb. It's saying you don't know yet. How that all our fathers, referring to their natural Jews in Israel, all our fathers that were under the cloud, now remember the pillar of fire and the cloud would lead them. And in Psalms there's language described that pillar, that cloud would overshadow them as they're walking along. You're walking through a desert for 40 years. He brought them a shade tent along the way. Is your God merciful? Yeah. All right. They were all baptized. Uh, all passed through the sea and were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all did eat of the same spiritual meat, right, the manna, and did all drink of the same spiritual drink, right? God would bring water out of a rock, a place where it had no business coming. He made something where only he could get credit for it, right? Because he's the Lord thy God. Can't put anything else in his place. For they drank of that spiritual rock and followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Verse 6 here. Now these things were our examples. To the intent, we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Okay. Why do we continue to study the Old Testament? Because there's a lot of things in there that are given for our examples. So we don't follow their sorry examples. Okay, they lusted after things that they ought not, evil things. And lust is a strong passion, desire. Um, and do you know what the context is? It's negative. 
They're lusting after evil things. Neither be ye idolaters. That's the first thing it talks about. Neither be ye idolaters, as such were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. All right? Moses came down from that mount after spending 40 days, and he heard something. He and Joshua were there talking, and Joshua sounds like we're under attack. Moses, being a little older and wiser, says, No, it doesn't sound like someone's getting slaughtered and they're losing. It doesn't sound like the cheering of somebody who's whooping up and winning. It sounds like the sounds of a party uh, that they're playing and dancing. And that's exactly what had gone on. That He came down. I won't, won't even turn for it for this sake. He came down, and the people had said, We don't know what happened to Moses. Now, he's been gone over a month. They left Egypt. They arrived in Mount Sinai in the third month since leaving. So that, you know, a quarter of the time they've been away from Egypt now, he's been AWOL, at least in their opinion. We don't know. And so they go to Aaron and say, Aaron, make us gods to go before us. Basically, y'all, it's time to get up and get going. We've been sitting here dilly-dallying long enough. We're going to take this by the charge. And so Aaron, who is going to be designated the high priest, he don't know that yet, um, says, well, you know, break off those earrings. He got gold earrings in, break them off. And he melted them down and took out this golden cow. Right? And then he used a graving tool to refine it and make it look pretty. Right? And he says, here's your gods that brought you out of Egypt. Remember what happened 40 days ago? The voice of God said, I'm the Lord thy God. <laughs> don't make any graven images. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. Don't put anything before me. Certainly don't bow down and worship. And here they are. It ain't been, it ain't been two months. And they've already abandoned. Why? Because they got impatient. They wanted to do their own thing. And they weren't inclined to wait on anybody Specifically, not God to pave their way. Right? Who brought them out there? God did. Right? So, they had this cow, and now it's a feast day. They de declared it a feast day. And so they're partying. They're eating. They're drinking. And some are running around naked. I mean, it was, this was raunchy, yeah. This was vile. And all this was in justification of their idolatry. They have said, this thing is our God. We can do what we want. So what's the example for us? And we don't do it. <laughs> right? You say, well, duh. Yeah. One of our sisters had a pretty good comment on a Wednesday night. You know, if they just do what they were supposed to, There'd be a whole lot less trouble. <laughs> yeah, us too. <laughs> right? Lesson after evil things. So that first example after fleeing idolatry is the eating and drinking and rising up to play. Um, the next example it gives us is neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day 3,000, 3 and 20,000. Um, what's being referenced there is, I believe, back in Numbers 25. We haven't quite gotten there in our study, but um, Moab was nervous about Israel passing through. And specifically, he wanted to do something to uh, take them out. And uh, not having the military might, he hired, the king of Moab hired a soothsayer named Balaam. And this guy would use his enchantments and claim to get visions from God. Well, God actually spoke to him on several occasions. And so he was desiring to go and curse them. And God said, no, Bubba, you ain't going to curse them. They're my people. And so he wound up blessing them three different times. And man, did that make that king mad. He said, I didn't bring you out here for you to bless my enemies. Well, what we don't see after that scene is that later Balaam would give him some advice. He said, well, if you can't defeat them, corrupt them. And so the advice was, take your ladies and go entice them that they would fornicate with them. And then, after you've done that, invite them to your idolatrous feasts. And you know what happened? 
They did both. Um, that was uh, Numbers, I think it's 25. Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifice of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed, them, bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Flee idolatry. Flee after lusting for evil things. So one, you've got an example of a motivation for play and excess, excess in food and drink, and uh, here you've got a path of fornication that led to more idolatry. If you can't beat them, corrupt them. <coughs> Can Satan beat us? No, he can't. And he tempt you and lead you astray and cause great harm and turmoil? Yes. Absolutely. Go back to 1 Corinthians. We'll see the two other examples it gives us here. 1 Corinthians 10. Well, fingers aren't working so well. First Corinthians ten. To the intent, these things are given for an example. To the intent, we should not lust after evil things, as as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters, as some of them were, as is written. The people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. And verse nine. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Remember, the Lord would send fiery serpents among them. Um, I think there were several occasions where they were said that they were tempting the Lord. One was uh, in the waters of Meribah, um, where they're basically telling Moses, we're in the desert, we have no water, you will give us water or we will kill you. And Moses went to God and you know, he said, they're, they're about ready to stone me. What this is a bad situation. Do y'all ever make demands of God saying you will do this? You may not say it in exactly those terms, but sometimes we have that in our intent and even in our prayers. Because if he doesn't, what are you? Well, you're angry, right? He did not comply. I know it shouldn't have to be said, but is God your genie? Not a chance. So, do you get to make demands of him? No. But that's what they would do frequently. You know, this example of things that we all know is testing him, tempt him. Well, if you really do this, right? That's the same thing that Satan did to Christ, right? If you're really the Christ and you haven't eaten in 40 days, turn this rock into bread. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Um, there's another example of them murmuring, complaining, uh, seeking water again. They were at the waters of Moria, of bitter water. Um, they couldn't drink it, and they were upset, and they're murmuring, and they're complaining. Why haven't you done this? This is not just demands. This is taking issue with how the Lord is handling something. He's told them he was going to provide for them. He's brought them out by a strong hand and has defeated this huge nation. Is it too difficult for him to provide a table, food and drink, for this massive host out in the wilderness? Is it too hard? No. And yet when it's not done on their timetable or according to their carnal taste, you know, they got to the point where they're complaining because, well, back in Egypt we had melons and we had leeks and garlic as much as we wanted and out here we just got this bread the manna right that which is being provided miraculously every day you're in the desert by all rights you should have starved to death but you're complaining about the flavor right so my thought for you as we're not to be idolaters is that all of these are examples of idolatry where you're putting 
your desires, your preferences, your lusts for carnal things that your flesh may like, whether that's the flesh of your eyes, the flesh of your stomach, the flesh of your loins, or your pride because you want to be right. Those are all forms of idolatry. And the idol that you're serving is yourself. All right, take the phone. So we tend to document the most. All right, we got a name for it. The selfie. All right? You can go on your phones and look at the photos. A whole separate category of the selfies, right? And who is you focused on in every single one of those pictures? That's kind of a snapshot of our life. Man, we're full of puns today, right? Okay. Let's go to 2 Corinthians and pick up another point. 2 Corinthians, chapter 6. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Chapter 6 and verse 14. Sometimes you'll hear this taught in premarital counseling or in the context of relationships of marriage, and that's that's good and appropriate, but this verse has much broader implications. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. When you're yoked together, you are both working towards a common purpose. It can be in a lot of different contexts. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord or what agreement hath Christ with Belial? Another name for just an an, an idol or also a name for Satan. And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? We don't really like that word infidel, right? You hear that and you go, like, ugh. It literally means unfaithful or one who does not have faith. Um, and so this is four different ways of saying the same expression. Why are you joining and yoking and attaching yourself to one who's not working towards the same goal that you are? All right. As a believer, we are to be constantly looking towards the author and finisher of our faith. That's Jesus Christ. That is the end of all that we accomplish. We have a lot of different things that we accomplish in a day, right? But if they're not all to Him and for Him and serving unto Him and glorifying Him, then we're not doing the right thing. And when you're yoking yourself up in situations with folks who are not, they don't have that as their end goal, you're not going to go towards Him. Period. You can go backwards, you can go off at tangents. I don't know the physics behind it, but it ain't going to be straight ahead. All right? You've got forces that are going to be pulling you off to the side, and often your cart's going to wind up in a ditch. All right? And there may be damage there. If those Israelites had heeded this when the Moabite, Moabitess ladies came to say, Hey! They would have avoided a whole lot of trouble. Right? but they allowed themselves to join with folks that they knew were not righteous. Verse 16, And what agreement had the temple of God with idols? You're described as the temple of God. And so what do you do when you brought idols into the temple? That happened. In the Old Testament, we're just aghast. <gasps> they set up a statue inside God's own temple? Don't they know better? That's egregious. Disc, disc. Them. Right? If any of what you're thinking about today is thinking about others, stop that. Think about us. Think about self. Think about you individually. Right? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. 
As he hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their people, and they will be I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Right? If you are born again this morning, what dwells within you? The Holy Spirit. And if we allow idols to remain in our heart, unchecked, unmitigated, untorn down, we're setting up idols right next to the Holy Spirit, as it were. And then trying to justify it to ourselves and say, it's really okay. It ain't. It's not okay. Wherefore, come ye out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Alright? The idols in our life will be influenced by who we choose to associate and bind ourselves to. God didn't tell us to come out of the world altogether. right? If He wanted us that way, He would have. We have to still remain here and dwell, but there's a difference in being in this world and taking up fellowship with it, binding yourself to it, walking in those paths. So, Let's go back to 1 John. I'm going to read again the passage that we started with. And our last admonition is keep yourself from idols. And so in chapter 2 and verse 15 it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's a pretty broad expression. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If you associate with those who without any regard for God love the things of this world, that's a sorry person to model your life around. It's a sorry person to unite with and it's a sorry person to be remember he's writing these things that you'd sin not he's writing these things that your joy would be full and that you'd have greater fellowship and that you'd not be deceived by people who are teaching you the wrong thing right there are many false teachers who have gone into the world who are teaching things that Overturn whole houses, often for filthy lucre's sake. Because of the motivation of gaining money, I'll teach you whatever it is that you want to hear and make you think that it's okay. And so be on your guard that if there's one who's there teaching that and that man loves the world and tries to tell you it's okay, he says, the love of the Father's not in him. And so the admonition for you and I is love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. For the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. It's going to end. There's an expiration date. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. All right. Brass tacks. Let's think about some things that are in the world that we may love. Let's hit the, hit the obvious. Money. You know that the love of money is the root of all evil. Right? Money itself is not evil. It's when you love it. When you desire it. When you covet it. That's a thing in the world. Same for... Luxury and food and dining and spirits, right? The things that make your stomach feel, oh boy, right? Or drunkenness, right? The things that change the way you feel. How about homes, cars, 
vacations, toys. Toys for young people, toys for old people. We all have toys. Just recognizing what they are. How about beauty? Right? We live in the nip tuck society. Right? I want perfection. Or I want clothing. Fashion. Things that you love. If you're in the political arena, maybe it's power. If you're on TikTok, maybe it's influence. Right? Um, influencers, right? Maybe you want fame. Maybe you just want people to admire you. Men's respect, loyalty, fear, favor. All those fall in the category of pride, pride wife, right? How about unholy sexual desires? Inside the bounds of marriage, not bad, it's holy and undefiled. Outside of it, that's fornication. That can be your idol, things that you love. How about life itself? I think that's what it means by love not the world. If your life itself, if you love your life more than you love God, that will change how you interact with this world, right? Self-preservation will become the most important thing. Is that how the apostles ran their race after Jesus had ascended? They say, well, this is the most prudent and risk-adverse situation. We're going to do this to make sure our lives stay safe. No. So we could love life. That could be ours. We could love our families, friends, time. Brother John, these things are hard. Yeah. But these are often the things that we choose to put in front of God. And those are the idols. Business, job, career, advancement, success. How about financial stability and security? Independence and comfort. Lord, give me this day my next 30 years of bread. <laughs> How about leisure? Yeah. Golf, fishing, hunting, eating out, RVing, watching TV, reading books, the love of leisure. How about just physical health? Physical, mental, emotional, whatever. Here's the kicker. The things that I'm drawn to and I put up as idols, they may not be the same ones that you do. And the things that you're drawn to and that you have to struggle against may not be the same ones that I'm drawn to. And in that context, it's really easy for me to look down and you, I cannot believe that that's something that you struggle with. And the same thing around. We have an adversary who knows your personality assessment. He's not going to choose you, choose temptations and traps to lay before you that aren't appealing to you. Right? Because it's our own lusts that are within that we then have those opportunities and we have the choice to either follow through or not. And you know that you have a choice each day. Right? You're not a slave to sin anymore. Right? That's one of the freedoms of being born again. And we know that Christ has given a door of escape, escape for every sin that comes your way. You have an opportunity to not engage. But we've got to be aware of what our blind spots are. Right? He used the term, never heard the term sacred cows. Right? In India, they don't kill cows, right? They're, they're special. And you walk in the road and traffic away for them. Can't touch them. We don't need to have sacred cows in our life. Right? You go read through Kings and Chronicles, you'll see the times when there was good kings and they would see the word and they'd say, we're not doing that. And then they'd make an effort. But almost every time at the end it'd say, but they didn't do this, right? There was a bridge that was too far for almost all of them of we can't change things too much 
because it might upset somebody, most likely is the rationale, but they did some, right? Those are the sacred cows that they weren't willing to deal with. And so my job is not to tear down the idols in your life. My job is to tear down the idols in my life. Because of this role, I have to identify idols to you so you can be equipped. <coughs> and so the question you really need to be asking yourself is, what are my idols? What are the things that I put more important than God? All right, so ask yourself some of these questions. Question one. What would I be unwilling to part with if God said to me, leave that and follow me? Whatever it is you want to fill in the blank there, that's the thing you're currently holding more valuable, more precious, more honorable than God himself. And that's probably the one that if God did say that to you, Satan would follow up and say, you know, yay, did God really say leave that behind? Or you can do both. That's tend to how we justify ourselves. The thing that we really want to do, guess what we're going to do? Keep doing it. Right. Or put it another way, here's a question. What if it, that thing, whatever it is, person, if it were taken from you, would leave you angry with God? God, how could you do this? God, I won't follow you anymore. Now that assumes that you've got the thing that you're seeking after. You may not. And so you may be angry at God that he hasn't given you what you want. It's getting awful quiet in here, right? <laughs> if you don't give this to me, then I don't believe you're real. That would be tempting him. I can't believe you didn't do this. I'll be murmuring and complaining. So that's your question for this week. What are my idols? What are the things that I truly love and value more than God himself? Because little children, we're to keep ourselves from idols. And not to love the world or the things in the world. Because when you do, it will hinder your fellowship with the Lord. Your joy will not be full. And it will lead you to sin. So what currently hinders, prevents, excuses... Who otherwise comes before serving the Lord in your life. Those are the idols. I am the Lord thy God. I have nothing before me. And yet we do. And so the message for you today is that's not okay. Is this something that you will struggle with? Yes. You say that you've got no sin, you're deceived. I covered that back in chapter 1. But we need to get a lot better at tearing down idols. And this comes into that taking up your cross daily because these things get rebuilt real quick. You're in a battle against your carnal nature, your old man, the rest of your life. Do battle! Don't lay down and say, oh well... I messed up one more time. I can't, I can't fight this battle. Sorry, Charlie. Get up. You're not your own. You were bought and paid for. You're here in his service. So serve. This is the idea that's discussed back in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. You're probably very familiar with that passage. 
Well, we'll start in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Often as I'm disciplining my children, I'll end somewhere in that expression of, am I being unreasonable? Is there anything about this that's unreasonable? Give them an opportunity to speak. Um, and if I'm calm enough to say that, odds are I've been reasonable during that time. There are other times when I am unreasonable, um, and my wife generally has to remind me of that later. Um, but our reasonable service includes presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I don't know what God's will is for my life. Here's a hint. It's not to be conformed to this world. That's the default. Going along with the crowd, doing the things that please your flesh, stroke your ego, all that vanity, that's not His will. To be transformed implies change. Changing from that old into the new. <clears throat> By a renewing of your mind that you may prove, that you may test, that you can discern what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, flip back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I want to make a point. Many of those things that I said on that list are those things that are in the world are not in and of themselves evil or sinful. Some of them are. Fornication, just flat out. That's wrong and sinful. Having a house, having a car, having makeup, um, having a job, those things aren't evil. They're not wrong. But it's the loving part. When you love that. And so, to temper that, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and down at the verse, I think it's 31. And they that use this world as not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. And I know I'm jumping in mid-sentence, but I think the idea there is pretty clear. But if you want to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service, you'll be in this world, and you'll use the things in this world, but you're using them as you're serving Christ, as you're looking to Him as the author and finisher, where the things don't become the goal in and of themselves, because that's when you abuse it. Okay? You know, uh, a bottle of wine in one scenario can be a great stumbling block and a hindrance when you're drinking it to avoid your problems, to uh, to just get drunk, right? To party, to have all manner of debauchery that, that that leads to, that's a real problem. But yet the same solution was given to Timothy when he was having stomach troubles. Paul said, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Proverbs talks about the man who's sorrowful. Let him have wine, right? Go on an anniversary with your spouse and you want to have a glass of wine. That's fine. Right? The same object in how you use it or abuse it. Right? So you may be in the world. You may have a job. Yes, that's fine. You may have a house. That's fine. Yes. But when you start loving those things, where you're loving the things that are created rather than loving the Creator, your calibration's off. Right? Your focus is off. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, strength, everything you got. And yet, when our sacred cows come up and we have to choose between those and doing something in God's service, who wins out? The cow. And that's wrong. 
He should hold the preeminent spot in our life. Right? So using the things in this world, but not abusing them. The idea of that is that for a Christian, self-control is a big deal. That is a characteristic that we should all embody and grow in. Self-restraint, temperance, moderation. These are all different words saying very similar concepts. So I'll just look at one example over in Philippians chapter 4. Two, four and five. Philippians four, four and five. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Where is your joy found at? In the Lord, where your fellowship is with the Lord and with His saints. Right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Verse five. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Why? The Lord is at hand. That means He's coming back. And we should be governing ourselves as if he's coming back right now. Right? We don't want to be the kids or parents have gone off and now we got their hand in the cookie jar and now they're walking in, right? Doing the wrong thing. We want to be living uprightly in moderation, that's self self-control. Self-restraint. That is not something that is natural, and it's certainly not pushed by the things that you see around you. Right? I don't care what form of media you consume, whether it's on your phone or your TV or computer, right? The people who are designing those programs are pushing excess. Why? Because it takes the dollars out of your pocket into theirs. Right? The less self-control, the more impulsive you are, the better for them. Right? When we go down the, uh, the checkout aisle, what do they put on both sides, right? We're called impulse purchases, right? Garbage you don't need. But your stomach says, ooh, I'd like that candy bar. Or your eyes go, oh my, I didn't know that that gossip is going on over here on this tabloid, right? And you have these impulse, right? Self-control. If you know that that's a danger walking in and you're actively teaching your kids about it as you're doing it, guess what? There's really no temptation for it. Because I know that that is silly. And I've said it out loud. Sometimes that's all you need. Recognizing... Verbalizing out loud, this thing that I kind of think I ought to want, if you say it out loud, it sounds kind of silly. It sounds kind of empty. Kind of worthless. But in your head, you can build it up a whole, that's really a good thing, right? Let your moderation be known unto all men. There's some consistency in that, right? That doesn't say let your moderation and self-control be demonstrated to all those people you go to church with on Sunday mornings. Right? But everywhere you are. If we're playing a part where we act like followers of Christ in this building and we don't act like that all the rest of the time, that is the definition of hypocrisy. That is playing a part. Right? Guess who that doesn't glorify? Doesn't glorify God at all. right? Because you only play the part because you care about respecting other people's opinions. You want them to think better of you than you are. Right? We need to be consistent. Whether in here or out there. Right? Let your moderation be known unto all men. All right. I'm going to give you one last illustration, and that's in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Get verses 3 and 4. Paul's writing to young Timothy, encouraging him to be strong. Be strong, be steadfast. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, go preacher, you endure. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may excuse me, please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. That's an interesting illustration. And if you're thinking about it way back there, that may seem very far off. Think about it in the terms of an active duty soldier today. You're in active duty. You're called upon to go. What do you do? You go. What do you leave behind? Everything. Okay. So one who entangles himself with the affairs of this world, this would be the active duty soldier who says, you know what? I'm going to run for mayor of this town. And while I'm at it, I'm going to open up a car dealership. <laughs> And while I'm at it, I'm going to go start this nonprofit foundation that does a lot of good work. 
it's time to go. We're shipping out. Well, I've really got my responsibilities here to this nonprofit, and it's a good thing. And I've really got this business over here that I've started up, and, and it's going pretty well, and I've got employees, and I really have got to, you know, be there for them. And, you know, well, the people, they, they elected me to be mayor, and so I really can't abandon them, and therefore, I can't go. Modern-day soldier pulled that stunt. Where would he be? Arrested. <laughs> right? He's AWOL. He's away without leave. He's disobeying the orders of his general. And everyone in town would probably be upset with him. You're, you're a soldier. You're under contract. When say go, you go. Y'all? How do we treat God? About like that. Right? I've got a lot of good reasons why I don't have to do what you just told me to do. And they all value, I, I, I put great value in them. In fact, more value than I do in you. So, Brother John, this hurts. Yeah, me too. Right? I'm not up here saying I've got it all straight and figured out. I don't. But I'm identifying a problem. And then it's up for us to go home and work on that problem. We can say we love the Lord. But when it comes time to put boots on the ground, so to speak, we tend to hedge, put some asterisks, some conditions and terms. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The Lord doesn't have a volunteer army. He drafted each of you. He paid for you with the life of his son. And at the end of this tour, you'll be with him. That's a pretty sweet gig. He paid for it. And in this world, you're going to have tribulations. Jesus promised it. But he's also told us to be steadfast in his service. To be different from the world. To come out from it. And to present our bodies as living sacrifices. This is his standard. Is it high? You better believe it. He's a holy and righteous God. He is not like us. But he's worthy of your love. He's worthy of your time, your attention, your devotion. He's worthy. What are we saying? Thou art worthy? He is. <coughs> and so my little children, keep yourself from idols. Thank you. <laughs>